So I am reading to you from um, what we believe is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, as if you've studied the Bible at all, you, you, be, you begin to realize that there, there is a lot of tradition about who wrote what in the Bible. Like the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, who, who traditionally do we believe wrote those? Moses, very good. The interesting thing is, is that there are places in the first five books of the Bible that, are, that clearly talk about things that happened after Moses was dead. So it makes it a little bit more difficult uh, for that to be possible. But it doesn't mean that tradition, the, the tradition of that is bad. It just it was really meant uh, to honor him. And they thought of authorship much differently than we think of authorship today. Like today, we... We guard intellectual property, you don't plagiarize, you know, you got to sign honor codes, all this sort of thing. Back then, if you wrote something and said, well, actually, Paul wrote this, you, you were honoring him, and for the most part, you tried to do it in the vein that that author would have done it. Um, so Ephesians is one of those books where, uh, just as you read it and as you study it, you you don't necessarily know if you look at all the other ones that we're pretty sure that he wrote, that he wrote this one. Though, again, it's very similar, and so I just bring that up just because it's, it's an interesting thing as we actually study the Bible and really seek to learn about it more and more, that we don't just make assumptions, but we dig into it. And so, again, this letter is written to, um, to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city, so that meant it was very cosmopolitan. That was a word, it was really interesting. It was a word I heard more um, in Scotland um, than I'd heard in a long time. They would say about certain cities in Scotland, oh, that's a very cosmopolitan city. And what they meant by that was there are lots of people from different places and there are lots of different religions. Aberdeen, where we were just about 10 minutes south of Aberdeen in Port Lethen, um, where we were, where where Rudolph and his family live, where the Portland Parish Church is, um, Aberdeen is uh, probably the most uh, secular uh, city in Scotland, at least according to what they were saying. But but how, how they say that is they say it's the most cosmopolitan city. Less than ten percent of people uh, identify themselves as people of 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 the Christian faith. So. You know, uh, when we think about in America, we think about California. California is a very cosmopolitan kind of place because about le- less than about 5% of people identify any kind of religious um, thing. So, just, so Ephesus was a very cosmopolitan city. People there from all over. You had, and, and, and you had Jews and Gentiles in this particular church together. And so uh, Jews and Gentiles in the time of Paul were still struggling to figure out uh, how do we live together? How do we, how do we do that? And we probably still are trying to figure out how do we live together, Jews and Gentiles. But but they're still trying to figure out how they how they live together. So anyway, so that so that's a, a lot of a lot of background. But just to to give you this, um, in the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, Paul's laying out a lot of theological things, a lot of theological like the basis for their salvation and, and all this sort of thing, and then. He, in chapter 4, he begins to make this transition. A lot of the commentators said he, he turns the corner. So now, listen to this, uh, these first verses from chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, 
beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended to the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. That's the reading. Paul starts out with, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I mean, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? I mean, the word really is, it really, I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you. It could be translated that way. But it gets translated here, the, the experts say it, it has more weight than that. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. To lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The, the translation there is, is, really, is really interesting. The word there is uh, peripateo. And peripateo means basically to walk around. A peripatetic minister is someone who goes from place to place to place. Jesus was peripatetic. But it says to walk. To walk worthily in the calling that I've given you. To walk worthily in the calling to which you have been called. And, okay, church, what, what, what is the calling to which we've been called? Think about what, what did Jesus say. Oh, I saw it mouthed over here. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself and love God. Right? That's what Jesus said, the, two, the greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. That is the calling to which we have all been called. That is the, that is the fundamental basis of everything then that grows out of that. Of every, of every what, what some people might call specific gifts that we've been given to, to use in the community of faith and in the world. Everything grows out of that, that overarching or underlying whatever, foundational calling, which is to love God and to love neighbor 
as yourself. So lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. With all humility and gentleness. I mean, have you ever met anybody who, who you know, they just knew what they were called to do? They just knew what, what they were supposed to do with their lives and, and they were the most irritating person about it? I mean, they weren't gentle about it at all. And it really, maybe, maybe, for, maybe for some people it was helpful, but for other people it, it wasn't helpful at all. But something's going on in the, in, the, in, in the Ephesus church, apparently, because people must not be using their gifts or exercising their calling with all humility and gentleness. Why write this otherwise? I mean, we make laws, right, because somebody broke them. We say things because we want, you know, because somebody's generally doing something opposite of that. So do this. Live out your calling with all humility and gentleness. With patience, Joel. With patience. Um, Patience, I love this definition. Patience is long passion. Patience is long passion. What if you thought about the things that you were working on in your life with long passion? We visited some places uh, in Scotland, and if you've ever been, you know, around in, in, in the motherland, you know, it's been around a little bit longer than America has in the way that it's been around and to be in a, in a place where people still live, in a castle where people still live, and their families have lived there, um, I think, I don't remember what the longest one was, but, I, but one sticks in my head, that the, fa- the family had lived in this castle for 400 years. Long passion. I mean, and a, and a, and a castle that's made out of stone... What kind of patience do you think you have to have when you want to renovate? Right? Long passion. Patience. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. And the, and the word there for love, you know, there's at least three words in the, in the Greek for love. This one is agape, that unselfish sort of love, that self-giving sort of love. Bearing with one another in love. Those of you who, who have been in a relationship for more than five minutes, you know what I'm talking about. Our family was together, the four of us, for th- more than 30 straight days, and no one um, necessarily needed to go to work or to wherever by themselves. So, you know, we were bearing with one each another mostly in love. I say mostly. Um, sometimes there was not a lot of long passion on my part. And sometimes not much gentleness either. But that's just the way it goes. But bearing with one another in love. If you're going to be in this community, because he's, remember, he's talking to a congregation. He's talking to a church in a city. So he's not, just, he's not writing this to a city. He's not writing to all of Richmond. He's writing to a congregation that is there. So these are people that 
deal with each other and work with each other and, and struggle with each other and know each other and get disappointed by each other and, 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 and care for each other every day. I mean, they would, these folks would have seen each other every single day, I'm sure of it, as well as then when they gathered for their, their whatever community sorts of things they did. So, you know, if any of you who've grown up in a small town you, you, or, or even a small community, you, you, you get to know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows your business. Richmond is still a little bit that way, Right? I always say it's like 1.5 degrees of separation. You know, if you sit down with somebody who's been in Richmond for about for six months or longer, and, and you sit down with them and you say, hey, you start talking about it, you're probably going to know somebody within two people together, because that's just the way it is. Like, it's like living in an overground tobacco town. And that's the way I grew up. I grew up south of a town of 690 people. Everybody knew your business. You know, you went out on Saturday night, they knew whose house you were at, and they, they told your parents where you were at. So you better get your... Ducks lined up. Better make sure the story was right, and your car better have been there if you were somewhere else. (laughs) Don't try that, kids, at home. But bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is where we get tripped up, I think, because we think of unity as lockstep unity. We think of it as we we have to believe the same things, act the same way, like the same things, all this sort of thing. That's not what unity in the in the Scripture means. What unity in the scripture means is having the mind of Christ. Being held together in the Trinity. That we, that we are unified in our belief that Christ is the head of us, of the church. Humility means being in right relationship with God and, and realizing our full dependence on God. And so when we have unity about that, when we have unity about that, it changes everything. Something that the elders and I um, talk about a lot, and I, re- and, I, and, I, and I remind myself a lot, is, is, elders, you were not called to this table. You were not called to this table because you represent 26-year-old white females or represent the choir or the band or, or, or the buildings and ground. You don't represent anybody. You, you are here because God believed and the congregation believed that you were of a quality of faith that you would discern what God wants for the congregation. Listening to the congregation? Always with Christ as the head. That's where our unity as, as an elder body comes from, is that we are unified in believing that God is leading us. And sometimes we're, maybe we're wrong. We, we get things wrong. We're human beings. But, we, but that's where we bear up. We always ask that question. What would God have us do? What would Jesus have us do? It seems sort of silly, but it makes things a lot more clear. Making every effort to maintain unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all, and as you listen to that, that phrase right there, we think that that was an ancient liturgy. We think that that might have been something that was recited in worship because it's just, it, just, it feels very poetic all of a sudden. It just sort of comes out of nowhere. It's sort of like, you know, that, that song that you can't get out of your head? 
I think that's sort of where it comes from. He, because it fits here. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. This is where, this is where um, Protestants, most Protestants, believe that, that you only get baptized once. That otherwise you can remember your baptism, but you don't, but you don't get re-baptized. That's, that's where a lot of Protestants, that's where we get one baptism. So whether that's right, you know, I mean, there, you, you may have other experiences in other churches where that was where every time you joined a church, you got baptized, or every time you had a religious experience, you got baptized, or whatever. That is not something Presbyterians would do, not something Lutherans would do, not something Methodists would do, not something Episcopalians would do, not something Catholics would do. One baptism. You can remember your baptism, we can sprinkle water on you, you know, do some really cool things, but you get baptized once, one baptism. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave were that some, so now he's, again, he's starting to turn the corner here a little bit. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, I, now he, he, just, he names some of these, and I think the reason why he named some of these is because they were probably present in the church there are people who are claiming to be apostles, people who are claiming to be prophets, people who are claiming to be evangelists, people claiming to be pastors, some of them claiming to be teachers. And he's reminding them about what their job is, what their calling is. And does anybody know what the next phrase is? Anybody, if you remember from me just reading it now? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you weren't, most of you weren't probably raised Lutheran, but for those of us that were, um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the big things that, that Luther talked about is that we were, we were um, simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously saint and sinner. Simultaneously, what is it, Noah? Do you know it off the top of your head? I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, right. Simultaneously, saint and sinner. So the saints are right here. And those who are called to these sort of these these functions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers are supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not do all the work of ministry. That's where we often get confused. We often get confused in in churches where we're like, well, we hired a pastor. We have elders to do that work. Well, the church doesn't work if we all don't work. We've, the church has bought into something that culture has bought into a long time ago, which is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Well, that may be true, but it's wrong. The body doesn't function. I mean, it goes back to another one of Paul's teaching. Like, if your toe doesn't work... You know, you've got a problem in the body. For those of you who've had, you know, who've had surgeries or have had issues with one little silly thing, or, or maybe you've, have you ever broken your little toe? Try it one time. It makes walking real fun. Right? You go, what is that? I didn't even know that thing did anything. Man, that'll change your life. But sometimes we operate in, 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 in our lives and, 
And, and in the church, we sort of just say, oh, well, you know, 20% of the people, that's just how it is. It doesn't work unless everybody works. But, but these apostles, these, these prophets, um, these evangelists, it doesn't work if they aren't equipping or forming up. Oh, the one I wanted to talk about was evangelist. What do you think of when you hear the word evangelist? Billy Graham. Billy Graham, okay. And what would you say he did? What, 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 was, what, was, what did he do as an evangelist? What? Okay, he built people up, all right. He preached God's word, okay. What's that? Traveled around, okay. All right. He was on TV. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Um, I love this definition. That an evangelist is a bringer of good news. Now, you can capitalize good news, but I'd like to think that maybe all of us could be evangelists with a little e, you know? We could just bring good news into our family's life, into, in, in, into the life of our work, into, into the life of our community. We could, we could just bring good news because, you know what, there's plenty of bad news. What if we could bring good news? What if... What if Maybe we aren't called to be the big evangelist, you know, that we think of here in the scripture. That, that maybe that's not our calling in terms of that. But, but what if we're all called to be these little e? And I don't mean to, but just to be evangelists, the bringers of good news. I just, I'm sorry, I had to share that. That's a real chicken scratch, but um, I really had to share that. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the whole thing, for building up the body of Christ. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith, remember unity, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So, all of this, all of this works toward the fact that we are all supposed to be seeking to grow in our faith, to grow into maturity in our faith, by being the likeness of Christ. Not because we're doing something to make ourselves grow, but we're, we're realizing in humility our dependence upon God for everything, and God is the one who is bringing about this growth because we're putting ourselves in places where we can do that. We're being that, that little evangelist, bringing good news. We're, we're living with humility and gentleness, with patience. We're bearing with one another. We're seeking to be those who spread this gospel to build up the church, but to build up our communities, to build up our work in love. And part of the way we have to do that is, is speaking the truth in love. And speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head. So it's not that we're trying to grow into something else. We're trying to grow more Christ-like by speaking the truth in love. Now, when somebody says to me, now I just need to speak the truth in love to you, Steve. What do I want to do? What does Steve want to do? He wants to leave my office. Because right? that's usually how we, how, we, how we do that. right? I'm going I'm to speak the truth in love to you, Jim. Jim says, no, you're not. I'm out of here. Right? Because normally we use it as, I'm going I'm to tell, tell you something you don't want to hear. Well, what if we, that's fine. That's, there's a place for that in love. There's a place for that. 
There are lots of times where I need to hear things from my family that I don't want to hear, and when they speak it in love, I, I hear it a lot better. I said better. Okay? But speaking the truth in love, what... I want you to think about that also in a different way. What if we spoke the truth about what we, how we care about someone more often in love? Especially those closest to us. It is easy to take for granted those people that are around us. And to speak the truth in love would be to say, you know, I, you mean a lot to me. I don't want you to ever forget that. I mean that. You're a valuable asset to this team. I want you to know that. What if we were those who spoke the truth in love more often to build people up? Again, there's plenty of bad news. There's plenty of stuff we aren't getting right. We all know. And we need to talk about that in love as well. But what if we more often than we're building each other up in love, seeking out when someone does something, man, I really like, it was so cool to see you interacting with that child. Or I really loved how you just took your time in patience to work with such and such and so and so. What if we began to speak the truth in love in that way, to build up the body of Christ? What would it look like if this congregation became a congregation that had as its as its mantra, you know, you're not done if you're in, unless you're dead. And even then, we hear that the saints go on singing forevermore, so maybe you're not done ever. What if we really started to believe it doesn't work unless we all work? What would it be like if a congregation was, was really um, building up in love in the community? What would that be like? What, what would it be like in your life if you said, you know, my, my calling is to love God and love neighbor, and I'm going to do that by building people up in love? How might that change your world, our world? How might things be different? I believe that after being now in Scotland and seeing what's going on in the, in the Church of Scotland and and all of them, and many wonderful things there, um, also many depressing things there in, in my mind. But I just, I just believe that we, Westminster, we, we just have been given some really special gifts. This building that we've been given is located in a very special place. We're being given opportunities to, to, to speak the truth in love and to care for people each and every day, each and every week, right here inside of this building. But then as they go out, they've encountered a people that are unified in Christ. And so we're going to continue to seek to grow up and to build up in love, to become more mature in our faith to be those people that are unified in Christ and seeking His way each and every day. And so, let us live out Paul's exhortation to walk worthily in the calling to which we have been called. Let us build up 
one another, this church and our communities and our work and our schools. In Christ's name, in love. Amen.